Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Thank you for joining us in our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. We are in chapter 10 in this episode, and I'd like to cover approximately the first half of what is often referred to as the mission discourse. Now let's get our bearing a little bit as far as where we are in the scope of the gospel itself. We have been introduced to the significance of who Jesus is via the uh, discussion of the events surrounding Jesus' birth in chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 3 to 4, um, we have the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, uh, setting us up to understand his kingdom proclamation. We are then given some thorough examples of Jesus' ministry. In chapters 5 to 7, we saw an incredible example of his teaching ministry through what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapters 8 to 9, we saw powerful illustrations of his healing ministry with some statements about discipleship kind of sprinkled throughout. After being introduced to the beginnings of Jesus' ministry in chapter 4, we read about the call of these four disciples who were described now as fishers of people. And here, after the presentation of Jesus as the Messiah in word and deed, we have another historical description of the disciples, but the imagery has gone from them being fishermen, now they are shepherds. Chapter 9 concluded with Jesus lamenting the fact that there weren't enough laborers. The people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So then we have a response to this problem in chapter 10, in which the Lord Jesus calls the twelve, and he sends them forth as shepherds, looking for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we're going to see that these apostles are powerful individuals, invested with kingdom authority from the Lord Jesus himself. They are so powerful that they're like shepherds uh, existing among sheep. And yet that's not all. We will also see that they also are like sheep sheep among wolves. And this speaks to their weaknesses. So there's a nice balanced picture here. In fact, that's how I've divided up our text. In 10, 1 to 15, we have the apostles as shepherds. And in 10, 16 to 23, we have the apostles as sheep. Now clearly, the apostles, that unique group, are specifically in view. And as I read the text, we'll see that Matthew has recorded much from the Lord Jesus about who they in particular are. And yet one of the challenges in hermeneutics is to go beyond exegesis. And what I mean by that is we need to move beyond an explanation of what the text meant to application of what this means to us today. And it will become clear, I think, as I read through the passage, that there are some ways in which the apostles are unique and different from us. But still, there's important work for us to do in application. So keep those things in mind as I read through this fascinating passage. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the name of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, 
Simon the Canaanian, or some translations have the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Hopefully you were able to detect a few ways in which the apostles differ from the ordinary followers of Christ. Their very uniqueness is even highlighted by the mention of their specific names. Now, some of these certainly occur more often. We're used to people like Peter and James and John. Um, but one of the more important features about the description of the apostles in uh, the first six verses is their number. The fact that there are 12 apostles is hardly a coincidence. How this is played out in Luke, and particularly Luke Acts, only reinforces the point. When Judas, the betrayer, kills himself, the disciples do not just think, oh well, it looks like now we're the 11 disciples. No, there has to be 12. So they look for a qualified candidate and they come, and they come up with two really good options. But again, they don't just think, well, let's just give them both position. We're now going to be the 13 disciples. No, they have to cast lots to figure it out because in their minds, there has to be 12, exactly 12. There is clearly significance in the number. Now, in the context of searching for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, recall the allusion to Ezekiel 34 that we discussed in our last episode. We have a nod to the reunification of the 12 tribes. Now, time forbids us from exploring this further, but at this point, I just want to point out that the 12 apostles somehow match up with the 12 tribes. There's 12 and 12. But it's not quite right, I don't think, to say that they symbolize the 12 tribes. 
Uh, instead, they are leaders or rulers over the 12 tribes. Consider what the Lord says in Matthew 19, 28. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This unique position of leadership fits very well in the context here in chapter 10. The people are like sheep without a shepherd. They are in need of genuine leadership. And so the Lord provides that with the unique role of the 12. Now, this segues nicely into a discussion of how the mission discourse here is something unique. One of the things that stands out is the command that they are not to go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. Jesus himself will repeat this in the conversation with the Canaanite woman in chapter 15. But of course, this kind of prohibition doesn't reflect the final state of things. The Gospel of Matthew concludes with the Great Commission, sending Jesus' disciples out into all the Gentiles, to all the nations. Now, there have been various ways of understanding the relationship between these two passages, but there are sufficient grounds in Matthew to see a mission to the Jewish people um, being expanded, not being given up on, but being expanded to the whole world. So, knowing the end of the story, Matthew has still recorded for us, for example, the important naming of Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. He has alluded to restoration prophecies, like the one in Ezekiel 34. In fact, this is probably confirmed by the strange verse that is towards the end of our text for today. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Certainly, this is controversial, and there are all sorts of different uh, suggestions as to what it means. But the likeliest explanation, to me at least, is that the coming of the Son of Man refers to the literal return of the Lord Jesus. I'm convinced that that's what it means in Matthew chapter 24. The idea here in chapter 10 is that uh, the disciples, the apostles, are to continue their mission to uh, the people of Israel until the Lord Jesus' second advent. So there's a little bit of grayness here as Jesus is uh, subtly transitioning from the apostles to this mission continuing to be carried out and the lives of subsequent disciples. But let's not get lost in the argument. The prohibition to go to the Gentiles is something uh, that stands unique in salvation history. That uh, prohibition was just for the apostles back then. We can also consider the authority that the apostles have. Uh, they are sent out ones, and that's what the word apostles literally means. And this plays on the Hebrew idea of a sent one being as the one who sent him, carrying that one's authority. So when I tell my daughter to go get my son from his room with the message that dad says, come down, dinner is ready. If my son disobeys his little sister, well, that's a big deal because he really is disobeying me. So too, the apostles are sent by Christ with his authority. And so what they say goes. They can cast out demons and even raise the dead. Moreover, they are to pronounce judgment. That's the idea of them carrying so little. They are to operate on the principle that the worker deserves being provided for. So as they preach from town to town, proclaiming the advent of the kingdom, demonstrating it through miracles and exorcisms, the people have a responsibility to repent. That's their job. And if they repent, the obvious indication of that is uh, to show hospitality to the needy apostles. But if the apostles receive no welcome, 
They are to shake off the dust from their feet, like saying, I received no hospitality. No one washed my feet or cared for me. And this is a dire situation. They're acting like judges, and the gavel has been slammed. Uh, the verdict is declared. These people are guilty because they did not repent. And it will be worse for them in the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the people's refusal to show hospitality is being considered worse than the attempted gang rape that we read about in the book of Genesis. So this is pretty graphic language. The apostles are unique. We might wonder then, why has Matthew even included this section? What's there for us? Well, for one thing, uh, we do need to know about salvation history and its unique figures. This teaches us about the wider situation within Israel. Matthew focuses on the judgment that comes to the people of Israel because of the rejection that happens in Jerusalem. But it's not like Jerusalem was an outlier. The whole country got the message, and the country as a whole have acted negatively to um, Jesus' mission. We also need to know this crucial juncture of salvation history because of what it says about the apostles themselves. I think we need a renewed emphasis about the apostolic role in the church. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The unique authority of the Twelve um, applies even to us today, um, is important for us to grapple with. Their message uh, is authoritative and binding for us. Matthew, for example, is one of the Twelve Apostles. And so the solemn words of warning regarding how we react to an Apostle's message are really significant for us as we uh, carefully study this composed message, which has an apostle's authority. But there's also a sense in which we are to connect ourselves, not only to the audience, uh, but also to the speakers. There are things for us to learn here. Yes, the apostles are our authority and in some ways unique, but it is this passage itself, remember, which uh, utilizes an argument from the greater. If uh, this is what people do to the master, of course, this is what will happen to the follower. A disciple is not above his Lord. Similarly, we can argue like this. We are not above the apostles. If they were called to live simply, well, then we're called to live simply. If they can expect persecution and hardship, um, we also can expect persecution and hardship. If they are to interact with people and receive hospitality, so much more we also should be. If they have been sent on a mission, the Lord Jesus also expects us to be people who live on mission. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash